0: Okay, before we jump into the text this morning, we're going to do what we do every Sunday. Young ones, if I could have your attention. So young ones here, I'm going to tell you what the passage is going to be about and what the sermon's going to be about. Okay, ready? So we're going to do this. What you to think of a fish. Think of a fish swimming free in his lake. But then one day the fish thinks, you know what, I've been in this lake forever, my whole life, it's like a prison. A fish decided to jump out of his lake and to get onto dry ground and to go see the rest of the world. What would happen? He would dry out. Yeah, yeah, and he'd he would he'd jump out, he'd land on the ground, and he wouldn't be swimming anymore. He'd be flopping around because a fish needs water to get around. And he also wouldn't be what? He wouldn't be alive because he wouldn't be breathing because fish don't breathe air fish breathe water so it's so that fish is not going to be free he's going to be dead dead fish it's it's this thing it's here's how it works that fish is actually more free shut up in his lake he's more free within the boundaries of where he is supposed to be outside that lake he is not more free he's dead we're like that fish okay, young ones. In Romans 13, Paul's going to say, hey, you know what? You owe everybody something. Love. And he's going to say, oh, and, and by the way, here in Romans 14, he's going to say, and Jesus is your master. So, so this thing, and, and then he's going to say, and, and all of you Christians, you're all free, which is like, it seems weird. Wait, I can't do whatever I want to do with other people. i got to love them. I owe them love, and I'm not my own master. Jesus is my master, and I'm free. Yes, because this is what Christian freedom means. Christian freedom means that when Jesus saved you, he saved you, he freed you from sin. He freed you from the guilt of sin. He freed you from the power of sin. As in, you are not going to die forever and go to hell You're not going to be condemned forever. You're going to live forever with Jesus. You have been saved from sin. You've been saved from hell. Now you are free to get to God. You are free to know God. You are free to love God. You're free to actually obey God. And you're free to love. I want to ask, and is our freedom free? Like your freedom, is it free? What do you all think? I promise you, you can't be wrong. Is your freedom free? No. Is your freedom free? Yes. It's one of those things. No. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Is your freedom free? No. Do you know what your freedom cost you? It cost Jesus everything. Jesus gave up everything in order to come and pay your debt to sin, to take your condemnation on Himself on the cross, it caught your freedom cost Jesus everything, which means it costs you nothing, nothing. Your freedom is free because of Jesus. you're freed from everything bad and freed to be with everything good. which is Jesus. That's what Paul is going to tell us today as we jump back into our series in Romans, those chapters 1 to 11 is the deep theology of the gospel. Uh, of what Jesus has accomplished and now what the Holy Spirit is applying and working out in his people. And we keep bringing this up. This is going to be really important today. That saved people. It is both Jews and Gentiles. And when you get to Romans 12, you start to ask, because Paul starts to ask, well, so what? Okay, so what about the, this gospel? And Paul begins to explain how Christians are supposed to live In the church with other Christians. And then he shifts and he talks about how Christians are supposed to live in the world with unbelievers. Then he talks about how Christians are supposed to live in the world with the government. Then he talks about how Christians are supposed to live in the world with everybody Christians and non Christians. And then here he comes back to how are Christians supposed to live with Christians in the church. It's coming back full circle here. Uh, Please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in that one verse, Romans 13, 8, which sets the context, and then jump into chapter 14. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live, whether we die, we're the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. The word of the Lord. You, Please be seated. So this stuff of Romans 14, and it goes on, uh, he, he teases this out more and more through chapter 15. It, it may, just in that reading, it may sound as inconsequential as vegetarians are just as cool as carnivores, and you're free to celebrate Halloween and Columbus Day if that's your thing. But that, but that Paul would say Paul would say that's not what I'm talking about. Um, this problem is actually a real problem. This problem that he is talking about could tear the church apart. <clears throat> this is bigger than what's for dinner. But let's let's start at the dinner table, okay? Here we get the Jewish Christians. They bring one issue to the table. Literally. Uh, Okay, and the Gentile Christians bring another issue to the table. For the Jewish Christians, it's an issue of the Mosaic law and its dietary restrictions. There are clean and unclean foods. Okay? Is that still a thing now? Or is it all clean now? That's a, that's an issue. That's a question. For the Gentile Christians, <clears throat> it's an issue of they're used to getting their meat from the marketplace, which a ton of that stuff ends up coming from leftovers from the pagan temples where they've been sacrificing animals. And that issue is we used to eat that stuff. It's a cheap place to get food. Can, can we still eat that? So inside you've got from certain foods and on the other side you've got those who are good to eat anything. And these two sides in the church, they're going at each other. Real division. Those who won't eat certain foods are convicted that those who will eat anything, they're compromising their faith. They're, they're worldly. While that side, that other side that's fine, eating anything, they're convinced that the, sub, the abstainers who are judging them or imposing their legalism and restricting their freedom. <clears throat> so one side is judging the other, and this side that feels judged despises the other side for it. This, that's not inconsequential stuff. This is serious division. <clears throat> and then they found more stuff to fight over. There's this divide over what days in the week, what days in the year, should be especially observed in honor of the Lord. So in Old Testament Israel, what's, you know, what are those days about? In Old Testament Israel, you had the Sabbath day. <clears throat> and you had those feasts like Passover. So you got on one side of the church, they, they feel convicted, they still need to observe those days. It says in the Old Testament, fourth commandment, you work six days, rest on the seventh day, which was the Saturday the other thought, the other side thought, no, Saturday is just like any other day now. Paul's response to this, Paul's response to this in Romans one to eleven, is that God's covenant with the nation of Israel is done. Let me just remember, every, you know, everything he has said in Romans one to eleven. God's covenant with Israel—it's now done. God, through Jesus Christ, has made a new covenant with his people, the church, which includes Jews and Gentiles. So the Mosaic Law Covenant, given at Sinai, that's the Old Covenant now, which means God's earthly kingdom in the land of Canaan, national Israel, the kings, the priesthood, the temple, the sacrifices, it's all done now. The observance of the Jewish Sabbath, that, that Saturday Sabbath and the feasts, those are now obsolete. Ceremonial laws about clean and unclean foods, those are obsolete. They're done. Done because Israel was a shadow. Israel, the nation of Israel, what Israel was in relation to God, it was a shadow of the real thing to come. Always meant to be temporary. A foreshadowing of God's heavenly kingdom to come which has really come with Jesus. And now, with Jesus, the real thing is being established. So the old is done, the new has come. So it is not surprising that Paul tells one side of the fight to stop judging those who eat all kinds of food, who say that the Sabbath day, the feast days, are just like any other day now. He says, don't judge them. They're right but then here in Romans 14, Paul looks at those who are being judged, tells them to stop. <clears throat> those that are being judged, he tells them, okay, yeah, you shouldn't be judged, but stop despising Stop despising those who are struggling with their convictions. Verse 3, you guys who feel free to eat whatever, stop despising those who are vegetarians those who abstain from eating this meat verse five one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike each one should be fully convinced in his own mind so one old testament commentator he explains that even though god has done away with this clean unclean food distinction even though the jewish sabbath day uh that 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 observance under the new covenant it is not a commandment that's given to the church According to Paul, this commentator says, according to Paul, observing these, it was to be tolerated. That's what Paul's saying here, that those who are observing these is to be tolerated for a while at least. And Paul is leaving it up to the individual conscience of the Roman Christian. So even though the church at this point is already meeting for corporate worship on Sundays, they're already meeting on Sundays for corporate worship Christians attending temple on the Jewish Sabbath on Saturday, those who are still attending Jewish festivals, uh, feasts in, in, in Jerusalem, although obsolete, although those things are obsolete, they are to be tolerated for a time. Which raises the question, why? Because, because there is a brief overlap of the old covenant order of things and the new covenant order of things. It, it, and whether or not you, you know this, you you actually do know this. Think that Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, Jesus comes and he says, That old covenant order, it's done. That he fulfills it. He says that he's making a new covenant with God's people. And yet, Jesus still attends synagogue. He still travels to Jerusalem, to the temple for the feast like Passover. He still observes the Jewish Sabbath. And, 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 Jesus really does inaugurate the new covenant with his church at his death and resurrection. And, and, through his commissioned apostles, like Paul, Jesus builds his new covenant church. This is what Paul is doing right now. So, so, there is a brief overlap of the old covenant order and the new covenant order. So, in Acts 3, Acts chapter 3, this is after Jesus has died, risen, gone up to heaven, commissioned his apostles. In Acts 3, it makes sense that the apostles, Peter and John, are still attending prayer at the temple. Even after the curtain to the Holy of Holies had been torn from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross, even after Pentecost, and that that that's in Acts two. We're here in Acts three. Remember Pentecost and the visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit—the fire of the Holy Spirit—comes down and fills His people, which is a true, visible fulfillment of what the Old Testament temple building pictured—that God dwells in His people. It's that's why we say you are the church, not any building. Even after that has happened they still attend the temple for a bit. And it makes sense in Acts chapter 16, Paul circumcised Timothy, a Jew, in order to not give offense to certain Jews. It makes sense in Acts 21 that Paul, a Jew, performed purification rites to enter into the temple in order to not give offense. <clears throat> this overlap between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, is, it's an overlap in history of about 40 years between Christ's death and the destruction of the temple in AD 70. That's the overlap. Uh, and that, that destruction of the temple, it's, it's Rome who destroys that temple. But ultimately, we're told by scripture that that is a judgment of God on, on the Old Testament order of things. And that is actually prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And this overlap of 40 years between the old covenant order and the new covenant order of things culminating in the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, that is specifically prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. This overlap, that's what you're reading about in the book of Acts. That's that time. And what it is is it's a gracious time of transition. 40 years, which is what? It's the equivalent of a generation the equivalent of a period of one generation in effect for Jews to come into the church before the temple is destroyed. Okay. And then you get to that thing of, okay, so what for us? Like, so what for us? Because we're no longer in that overlap. We're no longer in that gracious time of transition. And the church today really don't struggle so much with imposing, judging each other over Jewish dietary laws or Saturday Sabbaths, or circumcision. But Paul's broader application is about this thing that we call Christian freedom. And like the church in Rome, one group in the church today will try to get at Christian freedom through legalism. Legalism uh, approaches the Christian life with there's just a rule for every occasion, Uh, And and there's a rule for every issue. How are we going to be free and do life right? We'll come up with a bunch of rules. We'll come up with a bunch of rules. We'll, We'll get this sin thing under control. We'll get this suffering thing under control by not doing certain things that lead to suffering and doing other things that lead to flourishing in life. And, of course, that that list of do's and don'ts, you know, everyone's got theirs because it just depends on who's coming up with the list. Uh, but, But the thought is, this is the way to secure your freedom. And this legalism, it goes by different names. One name is gnomism, which is this thing of holiness by the law, which Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, all the religions of the world... They all have these ideas that if you do these things, don't touch or handle certain things that would defile you. If you'll treat your body harshly, if you'll be rigorous in self-control, rigorous in discipline, if you'll fight against the flesh, fight against sin, you will overcome it. In Greek mythology, there's an ancient Greek king named Sisyphus who supposedly established Corinth. He was a very clever man He cheated death a number of times, so many times the gods got so mad at him, they've had enough of this guy, Sisyphus, and so they pour out their wrath on him. His punishment for Sisyphus. He's forced to to roll a giant boulder up a very, very steep hill. Does that sound familiar? And if he ever reached the top, he would be free. Well, Sisyphus rolled that giant boulder up the steep hill every day, believing that he was more clever than the gods. And every day he came a little closer, a little closer to the top, not knowing that that boulder was enchanted and that it would never reach the top, and that as it got ever closer, it would slip from his hands and roll all the way down the hill. This was his eternity. Okay, well, we can be like Sisyphus, uh, trudging up this steep hill of life, uh, you know, and, and the punishment for our sin... That, that, you know, how are we going to overcome our sin? Well, okay, that boulder, it can be an image for, for the law, for the rules of life that you come up with thinking, if I just, if I just keep going with this thing, with, with this giant weight, if I carry it, it's going to lead to freedom. It's going to lead to freedom if I can keep pushing. That is a life of futility. And that's the whole thing of Sisyphus. It's about a life of futility. Because you will never get to the top, no matter how big or how small that boulder of legalism is, that's not freedom, and when you put it like that, you're like, yeah, that sounds that sounds awful, okay, okay, we can all be really critical of like, yeah, that sounds awful, and yet who here who here doesn't share this sentiment right here, this thing of like yeah." hey, you know what I really don't care for? I really don't care for that thief who hung on a cross next to Jesus and was in his deathbed, asked Jesus to remember him, and Jesus said, you're saved. Yeah, I really don't like that guy. I mean, there's something in us like, yeah, that's, you know what? I'm much more comfortable saying the Christian life is believe in Jesus and work hard to obey God as best you can, and then God will save you. Like, that just feels, that just feels better. And you will have people in the church saying things like, hey, be careful preaching too much grace. Make sure, you know, you're going to preach grace, okay, but make sure your people also understand X. Fill in the blank. And that X is a place where you will judge and condemn others. And that's not Christian freedom. But like the church in Rome... There's another group in the church today uh, that will try get it. We'll try to get a Christian freedom through license. Y'all might not know this about me. Um, I'm not very good at remembering certain idioms, like exactly how they go, uh, and I'll mix I'll mix up common expressions. So at our last officers meeting, I said I said, you know, we're just aim for the sky. That's not the. What is it? It's shoot for the stars. Whatever. There were like five others that night, and they are all laughing at me. Um, have you all ever heard of that expression, free as a bird? Yeah, it means unencumbered. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, Collins' Dictionary says free as a bird means completely free. Okay, well, that kind of just unqualified license, that also gets into the church. That's in the church. I mean, from like the seemingly harmless sound bites of like, don't you know we're free in Jesus? which can mean whatever you want it to mean, uh, or to the very common modus operandi of you know a lot of Reformed Christian consciousness, I'm forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future. Yes. yes, and thank God. God is a forgiving God, and our relationship works beautifully because he loves to forgive, and I love to sin. To that very blatant rhetoric of you've you got to throw out the absolute black and white stuff. And let's accept everyone for who they are. What matters is you're a good person. And the only real sin is to ever criticize someone's choices for how they choose to live their life. And that is a message of salvation. Uh, Also, we need to be freed from the idea of sin and the idea of slavery to sin. We need to be redeemed from the idea of redemption. The only sin is to say that there is sin. But then you come back to the fish. Remember the fish. Or, you know, free as a bird? Think of a bird. Excuse me, Merriam-Webster and Collins. Birds are not completely free. Erroneous. Like, if they violate the laws of aerodynamics, they're going to crash into the ground. Uh, And so, who doesn't get idioms? (laughs) Uh, Christian freedom is also not, you're free to live however you want to live. That's not Christian freedom. So, what is Christian freedom? Well, first, come back to the dinner table. At the dinner table, you're not the only one at the table, is what Paul is saying. Christian freedom is not just a personal matter, and we live in this individualistic society. Well, the people sitting around you, I mean, the people sitting next to you, these are your brothers and your sisters. And Jesus died for them. I mean, that, like, Each person here is of utmost importance to Jesus. Christian freedom cannot be some kind of freedom to do whatever you want with your brothers and sisters. It just can't be. You owe them love, Paul says. When Paul deals with this same issue in the church in Corinth, which he has to deal with this frequently, this issue we're talking about, he says don't sin against your brothers and wound their conscience when it is weak, so when Paul refers to one side of the fight as the weaker ones and the other side of the fight as the stronger ones, he, he's talking about weak and strong in terms of conscience. And Paul clearly wants the weak person to grow into a strong position. Paul does not expect uh, that these weak conscience people are going to be weak forever, but he also he, he never resorts to shaming them for being weak. Paul's stress it falls on the strong person who has been freed from human conventions, freed from cliche slogans, freed from legalism, and says, You are not free to have license to live however you want, treat your brothers and sisters however you want. He says, You actually must voluntarily restrict your freedom to help the weak, not the reverse. Which raises that last question of, like, why? Like, why? Like, what's the motivation there? Why? Why put yourself through it, Paul? You're free. They should get it. <clears throat> and Paul says, I am free, and my freedom is for others. And what he's going to say in the very next verses, so if we would kept going in the 14 and 15, he would say, my freedom is that I would not make anyone else stumble, that I don't abuse those weaker, weaker than me, in order that I might win those who are trapped, struggling in legalism, that I might win those who are also trapped in license for the sake of the gospel, that I might win some. He he says that I wield my freedom in every way possible that my brothers and my sisters are pushed closer and closer to Jesus and to each other. I wield my my freedom in every possible way that those who are perishing in the dark, those who are enslaved to their sin, who are enslaved to pride and fear, who are who are even unaware of their danger, I wield that freedom to push them closer to Jesus. And, and, and so, ima- and this isn't hard to imagine. I know that you know someone in your life, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a child, a loved one, who you love so much, you would die a thousand deaths every day if it meant they would live forever and ever and ever. I know you know people in your life that you would literally take hell for them that they would get heaven. Paul says he has that desire for all Christians, for all his brothers and sisters, that he would never push any of them away from Jesus, but that he would give whatever he has to give in order to push them to Jesus. And so the goal of freedom is not to indulge ourselves but to be, but to be set free to love other people. Uh, one of you told me just this week uh, they overheard their uh, two children talking about upcoming summer camp. And uh, the younger was really, 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 really nervous because this was the first time to go to summer camp. And the older, it, it, these are like two siblings who just, like any sibling, can just go at it. And the older one told the younger one what to expect and said, You will be a little sad. You're going to be a little scared. I was. But I'm going to be there with you. And you're going to be okay. Going to look after you at camp, which means that older sister is not going to get to just do whatever she wants to do at camp. Now she's this in order to take care of this one that I love. Voluntarily restricting her freedom, which is like camp, summer camp is like freedom. And this parent was like, it's maybe the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because parents love seeing their kids help each other, and whether we are conscious of it or not, that is a picture of God. Our Father. And what He loves is to look down and see His children in the church taking care of one another at cost to ourselves. Paul says our freedom is really really real. It's re- our freedom is really really real because of Jesus. And Jesus said this. Jesus said, "It's the truth. The truth will set you free." And the truth that he's talking about is himself. I am the I'm the way, the truth and the life. He like he is the truth. And that verse is it's on government buildings for the time being it's on university buildings you know for however long it's on it, it it's well known but it's it's plastered everywhere it's kind of lost some of its bite because what Jesus says there what Paul says here that Christians are free that's offensive that's if Jesus original hearers they got the offensiveness of it because they got what he was saying is okay well if this truth will set you free then you're not free without it you mean i'm a slave christian freedom is offensive because it's really really real that without jesus we are enslaved to sin death forever But the good news of the gospel that is offensive is he lived in order that you might live And he lived a life of perfect obedience, fulfilling all of that law and that righteousness, and he did it for you in your place. And he died in order that you would never die, not that cursed death of hell that he died, that he took on the cross for you, taking the wrath, taking the curse of God uh, that you deserve. He has done it for you, freeing you forever. And at the cross, it's at the cross that our our willingness to compromise through license is put down, and at the cross, our desire to control ourselves and others through legalism, it is put down. At the cross, my self-centered obsessions are overcome. At the cross, you stand before a great Savior, a saved sinner. You, the saved sinner, sit, stands before a great Savior. At the, cross, at the cross, you are compelled by the love And the grace of your Savior to bend the knee and call him Lord. And you are free. Free to love him and free to love those he has given you to love. Let's pray. Father, we come again uh, being able to run to your throne. um, Your throne of grace with access because of Jesus. Lord, um, we pray that today that that would, that that would be an awesome reality, uh, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't weigh us down with shame, but that would free us. Lord, to, to live a life that truly uh, is one of freedom, a life that soars within, within those wonderful boundaries and confines and limits that You have given us of, of giving all love to our Master and our Lord and Savior of giving all of our love to our brothers and sisters in order that we might know Him more. Lord, this freedom is so much bigger than we can comprehend. But give us faith to believe that this Christian life, uh, it it is one of freedom, even when we don't see it day to day, that in Christ we are free, that being slaves of Christ means freedom. Father, we thank You for our Master. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you together as one body, one people, one family. We thank you as brothers and sisters for our Lord and Savior. In whose name we pray, amen.